0: Open your Bibles as you remain standing for the reading of God's Word, if you would please, to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 1. We've been making our way through this New Testament book of Hebrews, and it's important for us to pause every once in a while and remind ourselves that there is an Old Testament, there is a New Testament, but the two are not divorced from one another in the sense that, well, one's done and the other one's doing or what have you, it's important for us to remember that the New Testament reveals the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy of the coming Messiah. There are a few prophecies yet to take place, but that has not anything to do with the Son's first coming but that of his second. And it's important for us to remember that there are Old Testament similarities and connections with the New Testament passage. Let's take a look this morning, and we're going to read verses 1 through through 7, and then we'll make our prayer. But today our focus is going to be in verses 4 and 5. Look with me if you would. God who at sundry times and divers manners spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as He hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said He at any time, Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten Thee. And again, I will be to Him a father, and He shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Father, thank you once again for your word. Hide it in our hearts, Father, that we might live lives completely devoted to thee. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I just wanted to take a moment before we go any further to let you know um, I've had some ask me uh, over the course of the last, oh my goodness, several months now I guess, um, uh, about how I uh, study and how I prepare. And one of the things that I came across uh, uh, thanks to sermonaudio.com is the paperback Bible. And it was it's free. Uh, you can get on and you can download it yourself in PDF form, and it's broken up into several different uh, books. And, and we, I have the book of Hebrews, and what I do is I take the book of Hebrews and, and I just start writing, and I just keep my notes in there. And so I wish I had done this a long time ago. But on the back table, there's a table in the back there, and it's got the first chapter of the book of Hebrews and a little cover page. So should you also want to start yourself a little binder and keep your notes as we go through the book of Hebrews so that you can reference them in the future, that is available to you there on the back table. You can, you can help yourself to that. Um, and then uh, just insert loose-leaf paper in between the pages if you need extra paper there. Well, Let's take a look this morning at the superiority... Of the Son. We've been making our way through this book, and often when we are confronted with others who would challenge our stance on the deity of Christ, uh, we fall apart at knowing how to respond to certain statements that perhaps they make. Uh, We fail, I I believe, at this because of our lack of ability uh, to know how to respond. because we, we ourselves don't fully realize what it means when we say things like Christ became or was made. And I don't know about you, but there have been many times in the past where uh, my conversation with someone, perhaps of a different uh, belief system, different persuasion, uh, where maybe they have come across this statement and they say, see, this is evidence that Jesus was made or that Jesus uh, didn't always exist, or He didn't always uh, uh, have. And if we're not cautious, we can take certain passages such as those and certain verses and we can allow them to pull ourselves off track and off of uh, uh, the truth of, of God's Word. And we see things such as Christ being the firstborn. We looked at this closely several weeks ago. Uh, about Christ being firstborn, the word firstborn does not always mean first one in birth order, but preeminent one. It was even uh, referenced as uh, uh, Jacob and Esau, where Esau gave up his birthright, and that word birthright is the same word where we get our word firstborn. And so we need to understand uh, what is actually being said when when the Bible puts statements out there like this. Now, the confusion, I believe, personally, comes in at the incarnation. And so often we look at the doctrine of the incarnation where Christ came to earth. He became, God became man. We look at this, and if we're not cautious, we only uh, attach the the nativity. and We see the, the little baby in a manger, and that's as far as we ever make it, as far as the incarnation is concerned. Oh, wow, that God became a little baby in Bethlehem, and then we ignore the rest of it. I think if we have a full understanding of what took place when Jesus came and became man, I think if we understand that a little bit better, a lot of these other statements such as was made or became, such as those, they begin to make a little more sense to us and it's a little less confusing. The understanding also comes to us as a result of the incarnation. Because as a result of the incarnation, now Christ lived the sinless life and then He died the perfect death for you on your behalf. Now, after this takes place, we need to realize some things about God. We need to realize that because of the incarnation... Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there were new realities introduced. The question I'd like to start out with before I go any deeper into the new realities that are introduced, the question I would kind of like to start with is something that has plagued many minds and it's plagued my mind. How is it, how does one continue in Christ? Now, if you've been in churches or around preaching for any amount of time, you probably have had this uh, posed to you at some stage of the game, or you yourself have asked this question, how do I continue in Christ? A lot of times preachers are guilty of making statements, but don't exactly tell you uh, the how behind the what that we are to do. When we say things like, well, you need to just continue in the Lord. <laughs> I, 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 I okay, How? Yeah, you know? and so we gotta we gotta understand the how sometimes behind the what. It's one thing for me to say continue in the Lord, and he was continue. What's what is uh, uh, continue? Well, I still believe in him. Is that the same as continuing? So we need to understand some of this. And so with the question being posed, how does one continue in the Lord, I want to come back to a statement that I just made just a moment ago, that because of the incarnation, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, new realities were introduced that were never before known. Now, we're going to reread verses 4 and 5 so that we can get a little bit of a basis for understanding what I'm talking about. Notice what it says in verse number 4. Talking about Jesus being made so much better than the angels. Paul's for station identification. Because we need to understand what is being said. The writer of Hebrews insinuates that prior to this, he wasn't. Now we need to understand the two natures of Christ. It's important for us to understand the two natures of Christ. We believe God was, Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And so oftentimes there are statements that are made of the 100% God, and there are other statements that are made of the man portion of Jesus, so to speak. Now, let's continue to read in verse number 4 and 5 and then we're going to come back to those statements because I've got a few people that are looking at me right now like, all right, buddy, you're getting ready to slip into heresy and I'm going to charge pulpit. All right, this is going to be a fun morning. Take a look with me, verse 4 and 5. "...being made so much better than the angels, and he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son?" This day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now I want you to notice the the way that the passages are be or the, the verses are being referenced and the verbiage that is being used. Notice in verse number four, being made so much better than the angels, hath by inheritance obtained. Notice what it says in verse 5. For unto which of the angels it said, At any time, thou art art my son this day have i begotten thee and again i will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son and what you're going to find is a lot of times people will try to take uh, maybe good meaning maybe maliciously They will try to take words such as this and say, Aha, see, Jesus wasn't always the Son of God, because here it says He shall be a Son. No, 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 no. stop for a minute. This is not in reference to the eternal Son of God. But when Jesus entered humanity, something new was introduced. Think about it for a minute. When we talk about God rested, we looked at this, and it was important to understand what we talked about when we look back in Genesis chapter number one. And it says that on the seventh day, God rested, not because he was tired, but because the work was done. So he ceased, he stopped, done, finished. It wasn't because he was worn out, going, oh, everything was good until day six. Ah. Oh. Need a break. You know what it's like. You get one of those honeydew projects and your your wife wants you to refloor or or paint or she wants you to move this or move that or do this or do that and then you get about halfway through it and you're just going, how much do I love this woman? Yeah. That's not what it was. God wasn't tired and needed a break. But God, the Son... Robed himself in flesh and experienced exhaustion. Don't miss that. He was in all points tempted, like as we, yet without sin. Understand what God went through and experienced so that you and I can know Him. You'll notice as you continue to read through, uh, look what it says uh, in verse number... uh, I lost it, there we go. Uh, Verse number 5 there. It says, But unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art... My son, this day have I begotten thee. This is another one of those areas that people look and they say, see, this is where God begets Jesus. So it didn't start until... No, 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 no. no. In history past, for all eternity, all eternity, Christ Jesus was the Son of God. No beginning, no end to Him. However... He set aside His prominent position and was made a little lower than the angels for you. He robed Himself in flesh for you. At at any time in history, you go back through history, what is it that we can ever find where Christ was not God, where Jesus himself was not God. You're never going to find that. Now we must realize that as a result of this, we do have this God man uh, uh, coming forth from, from the, uh, uh, the uh, position that was made here. Because Jesus laid aside his exalted position, was made lower than the angels, and was now elevated as the God man. This is a new reality. So we need to understand the proclamation of Christ's superiority in this, always being the eternal Son. But when He laid aside and He said, you know what, it is important enough for them to know the Creator. I have decided to set aside my exalted position. He, you know the old song, He could have called 10,000 angels, but He didn't. He set it aside. You know, if you're ever playing with kids, maybe you're you're running a race with them and, and you're saying, okay, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to beat you this time. And then you take off running with them and you don't go full bore, right? You just kind of take your time nice and easy and just kind of play with them and mess with them a little bit. Yeah, I'm right there beside you. You restrict yourself and you restrain yourself. Or perhaps... Uh, What you might want to do, we used to uh, have races on the ice and what we would do is we would take and we would wrap a a rope around the person in front and they would have to skate while one of us was behind them trying to stop the whole time. You want to talk about burning the legs? We restricted ourselves, And this is what Christ did. Never stopped being God. But He said, I'm not going to partake in what is rightfully mine. Set it aside for just a moment. Not the ability, but set aside the use of it. Became man. The idea of these new realities does not mean that Jesus was new. It is not referring to the eternal Son of God. It's referring to the man Jesus. Jesus was uh, uh, this this idea that Jesus was created at the moment of the incarnation is a lie? He has always existed. Doesn't imply that he was lacking. Doesn't imply that. Just explains what he did for us. Understand something: when we come to know Jesus as our Savior, we are meeting with the person who has existed for all eternity, but we are also meeting with the Creator. And, catch this, we are also meeting with the one who stepped into time. He was born. He grew up. He submitted to parental authority. (laughs) Sometimes we get into our minds that, well, you know, Jesus didn't have to submit to His parents. I mean, (laughs) He created Mary and Joseph. He submitted to them willingly. And when Mom said, Son... I need you to go take care of the animals outside. He didn't go, you need to go take care of the animals. <laughs> nah. But he submitted willingly. He had siblings. He grew tired. He grew hungry. He laughed. He hurt. He cried. I've had people, <laughs> well, Pastor, you just don't understand what I'm going through. Maybe not, but he does. He understands more than you'll ever know because you and I don't understand what it's like to have all power and not employ it. <laughs> One of my favorite passages is when the men come to arrest Jesus and they say, We're looking for Jesus. And he says, I am he. <clears throat> And they all fall back. (laughs) Now that's power. Now if that was me, I'd have been like, I am he. And then when they got up and they dusted their armor off, I'd have been, I am he. (laughs) That would have been me. I'd I'd have probably flaunted it a little bit too much. So it's a good thing I'm not he. But you and I don't understand what it's like. You mean you didn't have to experience that? No, he didn't. But he did. He laughed, he cried, both God and man. You see, after Christ's atoning work on the cross, he was restored to his position. Keep your hand here in the book of Hebrews or put a bookmark there. Jump back to the book of John with me, if you would. John, chapter number 17. I want you to notice something. There we have John in his high priestly prayer just before he heads to the cross. People, they, they label Matthew chapter 6, you know, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. They label that as the Lord's Prayer. You know that's the one he gave to us. He taught us how to pray that way. That's not the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is found right here in John chapter 17. This is where our Lord prayed. And notice what he says as you read there with me the first few verses. Notice verse number 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. And I have glorified Thee on the earth. I have finished the work which Thou gavest me to do. Now catch this in verse number 5. And now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self, with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. Long before time existed, Christ enjoyed this glory with the Father. Co-God, co-glorious, co-eternal, co-equal, however you want to co-it, He experienced this glory and set it aside, and now He's saying, as a result of what I'm getting ready to do, I'm ready to take my place in Your glory sharing it again. Now we can fully grasp the statement of verse number 4. Look with me again back into Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4. Being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they... Realize something here. Just as Jesus never ceased being God, He did not cease being man. Do you realize that at this moment, Jesus, the God-man, occupies the throne? Let that one sink in for a minute. Let that one just fester. As the eternal Son, He has always been superior to the angels. He never stopped being superior to the angels. But now as the God-man, a man was made higher than the angels. Now I want you to catch something as we continue to look through this because there's something pivotal in this. We hear quite often how much Satan hates humanity. Satan hates mankind. You know, when God created, He created animals, He created uh, the, the mammals, fish, the birds, He created the trees and the flowers. Satan doesn't hate that. But the crowning glory of Christ's creation was man that was made in the image and likeness of God. Satan hates that. How much more do you think he hates the fact that Jesus became one and he couldn't trip Him up? Catch it for a minute. Jesus... Allowed himself, the Son of God, the Eternal Son of God, existed from before creation. He he was the Creator Himself, robed Himself, stepped into His own creation, became man for you and for me. And Satan thinks, "I got him now," and he takes him and he waits. Oh, you know, Satan! Yeah, he's he's a big boy, isn't he? He waits until he's been forty days without eating. And he goes out there and he's like, "Ah, pretty hungry, ain't you? Look at you. You're wasting away to nothing. And Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone. Thought I had him. Thought I had him. Satan hates humanity. And God, as a man... He fulfilled it all. He fulfilled the law of God. My former pastor, he told me one day, he says, says, you cannot understand the book of Hebrews without understanding the book of Leviticus. You have to understand what is expected so that we can see something better. Because this is where we want to start to come into it. Because we need to understand why it is that the writer of Hebrews here, the preacher, is writing. And so we need to understand the purpose of stating Christ's superiority. One may ask, why is this really all that important? I mean, you seem to be spending a lot of time dwelling on something that, uh, you know, it, it really doesn't matter all that much, does it? Yes, it does. If you remember from our beginning... Uh, Study. we looked at some different ways, uh, some dangers, some warnings. There are five major warnings in the book of Hebrews. First, we find in chapter 2, drifting from the Word of God, drifting from God Himself, the Word. We see that in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. We see that there's a danger of doubting, chapter 3 and and the first part of 4. We see that there's a danger of becoming apathetic in chapters 5 and 6. There's a danger of contempt... Uh, of, of developing contempt against uh, and toward God in chapters, uh, chapter number 10. We see that there's a danger of rejecting in chapter number 12. And so at the end of the day, it all kind of comes back to heeding the Word of God. The preacher here is concerned with believers drifting back to lesser and weaker ways. And so this concern that the writer of Hebrews has for these people defecting back spurs him to, along in the desire to, uh, to open up and to expound to them the importance of understanding who Christ was. Now some believe, and, I, and, and there's, now understand something, you're going you're to pick up 15 books, uh, commentaries on the book of Hebrews, and all 15 of them are going to say some different things. They're all not a single one of them is going to agree, and so I understand that some people may not fully uh, agree with some of the stuff that's going on here. And as long as it's scripture, that's one thing. Opinion is a different. You know, we can all agree on the uh, uh, the scripture thing, but in looking at some of this, uh, there's there's a a misunderstanding or mis uh, or confusion, should I say, over why it is uh, that the writer of Hebrews is writing this. Some believe that there was a danger of angel worship. And there certainly is evidence of certain sects within the Jewish community that worshipped the angels. I don't believe that that's what is taking place here. Some also believe that there was a, a, a misrepresenting of Christology, that they were, there was a, a sect of people, and there's historical evidence to support this, that there was a sect of people that uh, they were um, uh, trying to teach that Jesus was an angel. You find that even into today's time, with, uh, such as the Mormon church. They believe that Jesus was an angel and that uh, he, was just, he was the greatest creation. He was the top dog, so to speak. Uh, but that's, that's not, I, I believe, why the writer of Hebrews is writing here. I believe he's writing because he wants to make sure that they understand we have something better. Jesus is better than any angel. You see, before, uh, before God had used angels uh, as mediators. So in the past, angels oftentimes were used as mediators. But now we find that Christ is the final mediator, the best mediator, the top mediator, the greatest mediator. This is why he says at the beginning of the book God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Now, here's where we get into the meat of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews can be summed up in one word better. Well, we had the Old Testament sacrifices. Jesus is better. We had what the prophets were teaching. Jesus is better. Gabriel came down. Michael came down. Jesus is better. We had hope because Elisha, do you know the hope that he had? Because he he told his servant, "Hey, "Hey, God, would you open my servant's eyes? Everything's going to be okay. His servant's eyes were open. He saw all the angels. But guess what? Jesus is better. And right here we have the hinge pin of what we're going to be looking at through the rest of Scripture. It begins with Christ better and the angels. Now think of the glory of the creation. We, people, If you, you can announce, we're going to be preaching through the book of Genesis, we're going to be preaching through the book of, uh, of Ezekiel, we're going to be preaching through the book of, um, uh, of John, preaching through the book of Hebrews. But once you say, we're going to do a study on angels and demons... Everybody shows up more high. We're going to study angels and demons. Why? Jesus is better. Jesus is a whole lot better. I want you to notice a few things here. The danger of, def- of defecting, going back to these lesser ways... This is not, like I said, angel worship or Christology, but the danger was turning your back. Turning your back on what was superior and embracing what was inferior. Look at chapter number 2, the first four verses of chapter 2. Therefore, in other words, as a result of everything that we're getting ready to lean through for the next few weeks... Therefore, we ought to give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and every obedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first uh, began to be spoken by the Lord, was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to His own will. Look at that. In the midst of everything, go back now to verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners uh, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. Do you see how great Jesus is? He says, if it was good over here, how much better is it over there? God had used angels in the past for this. You know, the word for angel, angelon in this sense, it is the, uh, the root would be angelos, and it's the same word that we use for messenger. So guess what? The writer of Hebrews is taking the angels. If any messenger and this is why, this is why uh, 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 Paul, back in the book of Galatians, he says, if, "If we, or an angel or any other, preach any other gospel, let him be accursed." Why? Because Jesus is sufficient. In other words, Christ is superior to all messengers. Final. End of statement. But the book of Hebrews lays out an argument that Christ is better. I'll put these up. You can get the, uh, uh, you can get the um, uh, passages as we go through them. We find a better hope in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19. And I encourage you to go get these. Go back and look at these yourself. We have a better covenant. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22 we have a better ministry, a better covenant, better promises seen in chapter 8, verse 6. We have better sacrifices, chapter 9, verse 23. We have a better possession, chapter 10, verse 34. We have better resurrection, chapter 11. You can see that in verse 35, but continue all the way to verse 40. We, can have, we have a better witness We see that in chapter 12, verse 24. We have through the book, I believe with all my heart, the book of Hebrews is laying the case for something that is better than anything else you can bring into the equation. And here in verse number 4, we have the first better. Better than the angels. Now, I want you to... Continue with me as we go through this. It's important for us to understand. Number one, uh, Chapter 1 verse 4 is stating better before the angels, uh, it, because it, in time past the angels mediated on behalf of God, but now they were simply a foreshadowing to the Messiah who would be the final mediator. But I want you to see in verse number 4, the second half of it, and he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now that's the next one that we have to understand, right? Okay, so, all right, pastor, I get that. But what's this name business? Now some equate it to Jesus, I understand that, and I'm not going to argue that if that's the stance that they want to take. me, I believe it's the term son. Look at verse number 5. The very first word, for, is a connecting word. For unto which of the angels said he at any time thou art my son? This day have I begotten thee, and I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Drop down to verse number 8. But unto the Son he he saith thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. I believe it's in reference to the Son. And you may be in your mind already wrestling, but wait a minute. I thought He is the eternal Son of God. Well, take a break for just a minute and go back to the book of Genesis. Go to Genesis chapter number 12. Look at Genesis 12, and here we have God speaking with Abraham, and this is Abraham's call. And so here it is: God's getting ready to call for Abraham to Abraham to leave his, his, uh, his home. Verse number uh, one. And the Lord said unto Abraham, unto Abram, I'm sorry, get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, and unto the land which I, that I shall show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. If you remember from studying into the life of Abram, turning to then called Abraham, we would understand that what God is talking about is seen in Scripture and in fulfillment. God says, from your offspring. If you remember from our study in the book of Galatians, offspring, not offsprings. In other words, the blessing of, to the world was not the people of Israel. The blessing to the world was the one who came as a descendant of Abraham and through your offspring. Now, Abram's promise from God was of this great name. Now jump ahead a little bit into 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter number 7 2nd Samuel chapter 7 and if you're struggling with the you can remember that all the ones and twos in the old testament are together so 1st Samuel, 2nd Samuel, 1st Kings, 2nd Kings, 1st Chronicles, 2nd Chronicles. So all your ones and twos in the OT are the same. So as soon as you start finding books with one and two in front of them in the Old Testament, you know you're pretty close. 2 Samuel chapter number 7, notice verse number 9 with me. Actually, let's let's back up a little bit uh, to understand what we're reading. Verse number 4, And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan, saying, Go and tell thy servant David, Thus saith the Lord. Shalt thou build me a house for me to dwell in? whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought, the, uh, the, uh, brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to, the, uh, to this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle in all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, spake I a word with all the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, Why build ye not me an house of cedar? Now therefore... So shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheepcote from uh, following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off thy, all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth." Moreover, I will appoint a a place for my people Israel and I will plant them and that they may dwell in the place of their own and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people of Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house." Now, I want you to understand what's taking place because it's important for us to catch this. This is right off the hills. David is excited. The ark of the Lord is back with his people. And David says, it's time for God to have a house. I'm going to make a house for the Lord. He's ready to start bringing all the material in. Let's build a temple. We're going to make a place for God. He's going to have a permanent house. And and God interrupts him and says, wait a minute. You're not going to build a house I'm going to build a house. You're not going to make a name. I'm going to make a name. And as we continue to look through, there has never been a time for Israel where their enemies have not tried to to defeat them, where their enemies have not tried to upset them. There's never been that time. And so guess what? What we're referring to is not just any one of the kings of Israel that were descendants from David. We are looking for the one specific king, the name. And just like we have a promise, God made a promise to Abraham to make him a name. He made a promise to David. I will make you a name. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. The Son of Man that came from Abraham, that came from David, the Davidic King, the Messianic King that was promised so many years ago. Jesus, who sits on the throne of David, Forevermore. The Son of Man. You know, we see Son of God. But understand Son of Man is more telling than we give credit to. Realizing that this inherited name was his inherited name as the Davidic Messiah King. He inherited this name, it's his birthright. God promised Abraham his seed, God promised David his throne. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. There's coming a day, my friends, (laughs) and it's coming fast, where the throne of David will once again be on the earth. And guess who's going to sit there? The man, Christ Jesus. Oh, I'm looking forward to that day. Oh, I'm so looking forward to the day when our faith will become sight. When we're able to see Him. When we're going to spend the rest of eternity worshiping, praising, and glorifying Him. No more encumbered by this sinful flesh. No more restricted. No more is the veil there that, that, that keeps us from being able to see Him in all of His glory. There's coming a day where He will rule and reign on earth and I can't wait for that we'll finalize everything with this the preservation of Christ's superiority realize Jesus always the son of God always the son of God but now also the name son as in the Davidic king the son of man But I asked a question at the beginning of this, and some may have it written down and still be kind of scratching their heads. My goodness, is he never going to answer this question? The question was simply this, how does one continue in Christ? Over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be looking verses uh, in Hebrews chapter number 1 here, uh, verses 5 through 14, the whole fulfillment of the chapter. We're going to be looking at that. I'm going to do the best that I can to break it up into three different segments and uh, we're going to look at the proofs of Christ's superiority. Now These aren't proof texts. Proof texts is where I will go to the Bible and say, you know what, I believe that it's wrong for a person to do this, and now I go try to find the Bible to support that. That's not what it's doing. He is bringing out these different texts and saying, hey, there's no other conclusion. We're going to be looking at that. But in understanding the preservation of Christ's superiority, realize I'm not arguing for the preservation of our salvation. That God and God alone can do. What I'm talking about is how do I keep my eyes fixed on Christ? Again, many times pastors are guilty of making statements without giving the explanation of the how. We say, keep your eyes on Jesus. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. Well, Pastor, I'd love to if you just simply tell me how. It's going to be really, really deep. Are you ready for this? Get ready. I, I love, I love the anticipation. You got some people going. Yeah, I love that anticipation. Read your Bible. That's it. Mhm. Keep your eyes on Jesus. If you truly believe truly believe that Jesus is God. Do you believe that he existed eternally? Do you believe all this? The writer is setting before us the, uh, the case that the Son of God is enough and sufficient. And he says in all of this, he brings out the Scripture time and time again. And we're going to be looking at this very closely. All the different passages of the Old Testament where he's saying, it is Him. When has He ever said this about an angel? When has He ever said this about anybody? It's Jesus. It's God. He's the best. The greatest. Don't take your eyes off of Him. Do you believe, let me ask you, do you believe that Jesus existed eternally? Do you believe that Jesus came to earth as a man? Do you believe that Jesus lived a sinless life? Do you believe that Jesus was fully God and fully man? Do you believe that He died a substitutionary death for all? Do you believe that He rose again, defeating death, ascended into heaven, and is right now seated on the throne at the right hand of God the Father on high? Do you believe that Jesus, when He says, I am the way, the truth, the life, no man comes to the Father but by Me, He wasn't lying, He wasn't mistaken, He is the only way of salvation. Do you believe that? Got a couple of them here to do. How do you maintain How many times have you known someone who was so easily pulled from the truth? Man, at one time, they knew this. I don't understand. They knew this. They were solid in it. They served the Lord with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind. And then all of a sudden, they're nowhere to be found. You know why? Because they quit looking unto Jesus. And I'm tired of people saying, "Well, lost their salvation." No, they took their eyes off of Jesus. We can get into the whole argument about losing salvation and stuff, or whether they had it to begin with. But that's a whole different story. What I'm talking about is how do we continue and know that we don't step back right here? How do you continue? By keeping your eyes on Jesus Christ. When someone presents something to you, yeah, well, let me tell you what this guy wrote, and what this guy said, and what this church is teaching, and what this person thinks. Stop! Put your eyes on Jesus. Don't leave Jesus for some other person, some human, some man, some fallible individual's ideas well, I know this is what the Bible said, but the Pope said, eh, stop, stop. Well, I know the Bible says this, but man, the pastor says, nope, stop, don't take my word for it, take his. Get into his word. So how do we continue? By continually engrossing ourselves in the teaching of God's Word. Why do we spend more than Sunday morning in this book? To keep our eyes on Jesus. Why is it that when we're driving down the road and we're flipping through the channels trying to find something to listen to and we stop on a sermon? To keep our eyes on Jesus. Why is it that we try to not fill our mind full of everything else that this world has to offer, but we want it full of the person of Jesus Christ to keep our eyes on Jesus? told you it really wasn't that deep. I'm not that deep. But if you want to keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on this book. Right here. Look no further. Do you realize that when you're reading your Bible, you're experiencing a trinitarian experience do you realize that you get every aspect of the godhead because god the father spoke his son is the word and the holy spirit brings illumination you get to experience by opening this book the complete godhead if that doesn't excite you, you're dead. You mean I get to experience all that God has? Yeah. Uh, dead men don't hunger. So if your attitude toward it is, eh, it's, it's just a book, do you really know Him? Preacher, don't start meddling now. It's my job. It's why these guys give me a paycheck. They're gluttons for punishment. And I would never be able to forgive myself if I walked out of here today and someone who was struggling with whether or not they truly know Christ as Savior was not confronted with the reality that if they have no desire for the things of God, how can they truly say they have a desire for God? There's some here today that they may be born again by the Spirit of God, but you just have felt yourself recently being tugged in so many different directions. And I just encourage you, look to Him. Keep your eyes on Him. Well, Pastor, I just feel so far from Christ right now. You know what I need, Pastor? I need to listen to more Christian music. You know what I need, Pastor? I need to watch more Christian TV. You know what I need, Pastor? I just need to go to church more. Mm -hmm. But you know what you could do? It would be a whole lot quicker. Just get into His Word and let Him talk to you. Get there. There may be some today that says, you know, Pastor, I don't think I know him. Today's the day to meet him. Don't put it off any longer. Get to know your God. There are people here that would love to take a Bible. Open it up before you and introduce you to Jesus. That's all we've got to offer. He is sufficient. And that's all I can supply. Father, coming before you now once again, Lord, I know sometimes it must feel like I'm the neediest preacher you've ever known. But God, I I need You. I don't have anything that is good about me that I can present. Nothing about me is worth these people taking home. But Father, You are. You are so glorious. You're so gracious. So amazing. That You are Would allow yourself to be clothed in flesh. Mm. Father, pierce our hearts. Father, would you melt the coldness that is there? That you would just woo us to you. Those of us who claim to know you as personal Lord and Savior, but we haven't cracked the spine of your book until this morning. Father, convict us, drive us to our knees that we would be people given to You. Father, we want, Lord, to praise You and to make You smile. So we commit this time to You, Lord, that as the music begins to play in just a moment, Father, we would be obedient to Your Holy Spirit as He tugs on our hearts. Father, help us, Lord, to acknowledge You as Lord of our life. It's in Your Son's name we pray. Amen.